It was a great surprise to Scrooge while listening to the moaning of the wind and thinking what a solemn thing it was to move on through the lonely darkness over an unknown abyss whose depths were secrets as profound as death. It was a great surprise to Scrooge while thus engaged to hear a hearty laugh. It was a much greater surprise to Scrooge to recognize it as his own nephew's and to find himself in a bright, dry, gleaming room with the spirit standing, smiling by his side and looking at that same nephew with an approving affability. Ah, ha, 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 laughed Scrooge's nephew. Ha, 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 ha. If you should happen by an, any unlikely chance to know a man more blessed in a laugh than Scrooge's nephew, all I can say is, I should like to know him too. Introduce him to me and I will cultivate his acquaintance. It is a fair, even-handed, noble adjustment of things. But while there is infection in disease and sorrow, there is nothing in the world so irresistibly contagious as laughter and good humor. When Scrooge's nephew laughed in this way, holding his sides, rolling his head and twisting his face into the most extravagant contortions, Scrooge's niece, by marriage, laughed as heartily as he, and their assembled friends, being not a bit behind hand, roared out lustily. Oh! <laughs> he said that Christmas was a humbug. As I live, cried Scrooge's nephew. He believed it, too. More shame for him, Fred, said Scrooge's niece indignantly. Bless those women. They never do anything by halves. They are always in earnest. She was very pretty, exceedingly pretty, with a dimpled, surprised-looking capital face, a ripe little mouth that seemed made to be kissed, as no doubt it was. All kinds of good little dots about her chin melted into one another when she laughed at the sunniest pair of eyes that you ever saw in any little creature's head. Altogether, she was what you would have called provoking, you know, but satisfactory, too. Oh, perfectly satisfactory. He's a comical old fellow, said Scrooge's nephew. That's the truth. And not so pleasant as he might be. However, his offenses carry their own punishment, and I have nothing to say against him. I'm sure he is very rich, Fred into Scrooge's niece. At least you always tell me so. And what of that, my dear, said Scrooge's nephew. His wealth is of no use to him. He doesn't do any good with it. He doesn't make himself comfortable with it. Hasn't the satisfaction of thinking <laughs> that he is ever going to benefit us with it. Well, I have no patience with him, observed Scrooge's niece. Scrooge's niece, Scrooge's niece's sisters, and all the other ladies expressed the same opinion. Oh, I have, said Scrooge's nephew. I'm sorry for him. I couldn't be angry with him if I tried. Who suffers by his ill whims? Himself, always. Here he takes it into his head to dislike us, and he won't come and dine with us. And what's the consequence? He doesn't lose much of a dinner. 
Indeed, I think he loses a very nice dinner, interrupted Scrooge's nephew, Scrooge's niece. Everybody else said the same, and they must be allowed to have been competent judges, because they had just had the dinner, and with the dessert upon the table, they were clustered round the fire by the lamplight. Well, I'm glad to hear it, said Scrooge's nephew, because I haven't any great faith in these young housekeepers. What do you say, Topper? Topper had clearly got his eye upon one of Scrooge's niece's sisters, for he answered that a bachelor was a wretched outcast who had no right to express an opinion on the subject. Whereat, Scrooge's niece's sister, the plump one with the lace tucker, not the one with the roses, blushed. Oh, do go on, Fred, said Scrooge's niece, clapping her hands. He never finishes what he begins to say. He is such a ridiculous fellow. Scrooge's nephew reveled in another laugh. And as it was impossible to keep the infection off, though the plump sister tried hard to do it with aromatic vinegar, his example was unanimously followed. I was only going to say, said Scrooge's nephew, that the consequence of his taking a dislike to us and not making merry with us is, as I think, that he loses some pleasant moments which could do him no harm. I am sure that he loses pleasanter companions than he can find in his own thoughts, either in his moldy old office or his dusty chambers. I mean to give him the same chance every year, whether he likes it or not, for I pity him. He may rail at Christmas till he dies, but he can't help thinking better of it. I defy him if he finds me going there in good temper year after year saying, Uncle Scrooge, how are you? If it only puts him in the vein to leave his poor clerk 50 pounds, that's something. And I think I shook him yesterday. It was their turn to laugh now at the notion of his shaking Scrooge, but being thoroughly good-natured and not much caring what they laughed at so long as they laughed at any rate. He encouraged them in their merriment and passed the bottle joyously. After tea, they had some music for they were a musical family and knew what they were about. When they sung a glee or a catch, I can assure you, especially Topper, who could growl away in the bass like a good one and never swell the large veins in his forehead or get red in the face over it. Scrooge's niece played well upon the harp and played, among other tunes, a simple little air, a mere nothing. You might learn to whistle it in two minutes which had been familiar to the child who fetched Scrooge from the boarding school, as he had been reminded by the ghost of Christmas past. When this strain of music sounded, all the things that ghost had shown him came upon his mind. He softened more and more and thought that if he could have listened to it years ago, he might have cultivated the kindness of life for his own happiness with his own hands without resorting to the sexton's spade that buried Jacob Marley. But they didn't devote the whole evening to music. After a while, they played at forfeits, for it is good to be children sometimes, and never better than at Christmas, when its mighty founder was a child himself. Stop, there was first a game at Blind Man's Bluff. Of course there was. And I no more believe Topper was really blind than I believe he had eyes in his boots. My opinion is that it was a done thing between him and Scrooge's nephew and that the ghost of Christmas present knew it 
The way he went after that plump sister in the lace tucker was an outrage on the credulity of human nature. Knocking down the fire irons, tumbling over the chairs, bumping up against the piano, smothering himself among the curtains. Wherever she went, there he went. He always knew where the plump sister was. He couldn't catch anybody else. If you had fallen up against him, as some of them did on purpose, he would have made a feint of endeavoring to seize you, which would have been an affront to your understanding, and would instantly have sidled off in the direction of the plump sister. She often cried out that it wasn't fair, and really it was not. But when at last he caught her, and when, in spite of all her silken rustlings and her rapid flutterings past him, he got her into the corner once there was no escape, then his conduct, his conduct was the most execrable for his pretending not to know her, his pretending that it was necessary to touch her headdress to further assure himself of her identity by pressing a certain ring upon her finger and a certain chain about her neck. It was vile, monstrous. No doubt she told him her opinion of it when another blind man being in office, they were so very confidential together behind the curtains. Scrooge's niece was not one of the blind man bluff's party, but was made comfortable in a large chair and a footstool in a snug corner where the ghost and Scrooge were close behind her. But she joined in the forfeits and loved, and loved her love to admiration with all the letters of the alphabet. Likewise, at the game of how, when, and where, she was very great, and to the secret joy of Scrooge's nephew beat her sister's hollow, although they were sharp girls too as Topper might have told you. There might have been 20 people there, young and old, but they all played, and so did Scrooge, for wholly forgetting the interest he had in what was going on, that his voice made no sound in their ears. He sometimes came out with his guests quite loud, and very often guessed right too, for the sharpest needle, best white chapel warranted not to cut in the eye, was not sharper than Scrooge, blunt as he took it in his head to be. The ghost was greatly pleased to find him in this mood and looked upon him with such favor that he begged like a boy to be allowed to stay until the guests departed. But this the spirit could not, said could not be done. Here is a new game, said Scrooge. One half hour, spirit, only one. It was a game called Yes and No, where Scrooge's nephew had to think of something and the rest must find out what. He only answering to their questions, yes or no, as the case was. The brisk fire of questioning to which he was exposed elicited from him that he was thinking of an animal, a live animal, rather a disagreeable animal, a savage animal, an animal that growled and grunted sometimes and talked sometimes and lived in London and walked about the streets and wasn't made a show of and wasn't led by anybody and didn't live in a menagerie, and was never killed in the market, and was not a horse, or an ass, or a cow, or a bull, or a tiger, or a dog, or a pig, or a cat, or a bear. At every fresh question that was put to him, this nephew burst into a fresh roar of laughter, and was so inexplicably tickled that he was obliged to get up off the sofa and stamp. At last, the plump sister, falling into a similar state, cried out, I found it out! I know what it is, Fred. I know what it is. What is it? cried Fred. It's your Uncle Scrooge. 
which it certainly was. Admiration was the universal sentiment, though some objected that the reply to, is it a bear, ought to have been yes, inasmuch as an answer in the negative was sufficient to have diverted their thoughts from Mr. Scrooge, supposing that they ever had any tendency that way. He has given us plenty of merriment, I'm sure, said Fred, and it would be ungrateful not to drink his health. Here's a glass of mulled wine, ready to our hand at the moment, and I say, Uncle Scrooge. Well, Uncle Scrooge, they cried. A Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year to the old man, whatever he is, said Scrooge's nephew. He wouldn't take it from me, but may he have it nevertheless. Uncle Scrooge. Uncle Scrooge had imperceptibly become so gay and light of heart that he would have pledged the unconscious company in return and thanked them in an inaudible speech if the ghost had given him time. But the whole scene passed off in the breath of the last words spoken by his nephew, and he and the spirit were again upon their travels. Much they saw, and far they went, and many homes they visited, but always with a happy end. The spirit stood beside sick beds, and they were cheerful on foreign lands, and they were close at home by struggling men, and they were patient in their great hope by poverty, and it was rich in almshouse, hospital, and jail, in misery's every refuge where a vain man in his little brief authority had not made fast the door and barred the spirit out, he left his blessing and taught Scrooge his precepts. It was a long night, if it were only a night, but Scrooge had his doubts of this because the Christmas holidays appeared to be condensed into a space of time that they passed together. It was strange, too, that while Scrooge remained unaltered in his outward form, the ghost, the ghost grew older, clearly older. Scrooge had observed this change, but never spoke of it until they left a children's twelfth night party, when looking at the spirit as they stood together in an open place, he noticed that its hair was gray. Our spirits' lives so short, said Scrooge. My life upon this globe is very brief, replied the ghost. It ends tonight. Tonight, cried Scrooge. Tonight at midnight. Hark, the time is drawing near. The chimes were ringing the three quarters past eleven at that moment. Forgive me if I am not justified in what I ask, said Scrooge, looking intently at the spirit's robe. But I see something strange and not belonging to yourself protruding from your skirts. Is it a foot or a claw? It might be a claw, for the flesh there is upon it, was the spirit's sorrowful reply. Look here. From the foldings of its robe, it brought forth two children, wretched, abject, frightful, hideous, miserable. 
they knelt down at its feet and clung upon the outside of its garment. Oh, man, look here, look, look down here, exclaimed the ghost. They were a boy and a girl, yellow, meager, ragged, scowling, wolfish, but prostrate too in their humility, where graceful youth should have filled their features out and touched them with its freshest tints. A stale and shriveled hand like that of old age had pinched and twisted them and pulled them into shreds. Where angels might have sat enthroned, devils lurked and glared out menacingly. No change, no degradation, no perversion of humanity in any grade through all the mysteries of wonderful creation has monsters half so horrible and dread. Scrooge started back, appalled. Having them shown to him in this way, he tried to say that, that, that they were fine children, but the words choked themselves rather than be parties to a lie of such enormous magnitude. Spirit, are they yours? Scrooge could say no more. They are man's, said Scrooge, said the spirit, looking down upon them. And they cling to me appealing from their fathers. This boy is ignorance. This girl is want. Beware of them both and all of their degree. But most of all, beware this boy. For on his brow I see written that which is doom. Unless the writing be erased. Deny it cried the spirit, stretching out its hand toward the city. Slander those who tell it ye. Admit it for your facetious purposes and make it worse. And bide the end. Have they no refuge or resource, cried Scrooge. Are there no prisons, said the spirit, turning on him for the last time with his own words. Are there no workhouses? The bell struck twelve. Scrooge looked about him for the ghost and saw it not. As the last stroke ceased to vibrate, he remembered the prediction of old Jacob Marley. And lifting up his eyes, he beheld a solemn phantom, draped and hooded, coming like a mist on the ground toward him. Read the next chapter, 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 read the next chapter.